let me just say a few things to you. First of all, I'm glad you're here, and these next 12 weeks should be very exciting for all of us. I've done this in times past, but it's been a long time ago. And, uh, but what we're going to endeavor to do for the next 12 weeks is walk through the Word of God, and uh, we're going to just lay some foundational truths that many of us, many of us perhaps have read and known but forgotten. And this, this Bible study, it's called Search for Truth. I've taught it many times over my years of ministry, not only to congregations, but I, I have taught it, I say many times, not many times to congregations, but I've taught a lot of Bible studies to individuals in their home. And it's, it's one of the most credible uh, Bible studies that I've ever got a hold of. There are others there. And they're good, and uh, we we have used them also. But this is this is a good one because it starts at the very beginning, and it lays out the Word of God in chronological order and to where you can understand it. There'll be charts, and there's just a few things that I I want to convey to you to start with tonight. Number one is uh, we're just we're just going to lay down the scriptures, and it's going to be scriptural. It's not going to be denominational. It's going to be scriptural. Amen. Not going to be any arguing. We're going to discuss the teachings of the Word of the Lord and not the teachings of any denomination. So if you have a friend, you can bring them. We're going to talk about the Bible because I believe the Bible is the book we ought to talk about. Amen. And I believe the Word of God, and I know you believe the Word of God. Tonight is going to be a, <coughs> a little introduction and some foundation to where we're going, and uh, you'll see that in just a few minutes. Did everybody get a handout sheet? If you did not, raise your hand. Brother David will get you one. Oh, my goodness. What, what happened? Hallelujah. Brother David, you might want to get some help. you got a lot, a lot of people that don't have a handout. Hand somebody about half of those, and uh, make sure you get one of these in your hand. You can follow along on the handout sheet, and we'll have these every week. And if you'll keep them and hang on to them, it will be good for you for reference in time to come. So let me begin. And here's, here's another thing I want to tell you. We, we allot one hour on Wednesday night for Bible study, and we try to hold to that. But I'm going to tell you this. If we go 10 minutes over or if we go 15 minutes over, we are going to take our time and go through this Bible study because I think it's that important that we do that. You've got to take your time and get it done. Amen? And I want there to be discussion when it's over with. If you have questions, if you have something that you want to add to, that would be great. And uh, I want it to be that kind of atmosphere in this auditorium for the next few weeks. I just believe that God would have us to do this together. We have a lot of new people in this church and uh, a lot of you have never been through anything like this. So, so uh, I just want you to relax. Let's take our time. Uh, we're going to go through these, these things together. Tonight we're going to, to just begin with a little look at the Word of the Lord. How many of you have a Bible? Not with you, but you have a Bible. Yeah. Well, I want to I let you know that that's the greatest book you can have. Some people just set it on the shelf. It's a great place, those old family Bibles. You remember the old family Bibles? I used to sell a few of them. Family Bibles where you, you know, they, they're heavy and they sit on the, on the shelf. People used to put their pictures in them to make sure they stayed safe and documents in them. But it's gotta, the Bible's got to be more than a book that sits on the shelf to us. The Word of God is very powerful and very good. Today, today, we will make a commitment to the Word of the Lord and to study the Word of the Lord. I don't know when I have, have enjoyed any more than the first part of this year going back through the Word of the Lord and reading again the scriptural truths that are there, but... Uh, the Bible is so powerful, and, and, and it, it, in every phase of it, there's all kind of stories, there's all kind of illustrations, there's all kind of things in the Scriptures that 
until you read it and generally we just go through it quickly, but until you stop and zero in on some of the things that are in the scriptures, you, you really don't understand them. But tonight we're going to begin that. So the Bible said, search the scriptures. Search the scriptures. It, it talks about looking into the word of the Lord because this is the word of God. This is where eternal life is found. Searching the Word of God. We can't just thumb through it. We can't just just carry this to church. We can't just go through the motions of reading the Bible. We have to get this and get it in our heart. So that's what we're going to start with tonight, just searching the Scriptures, searching. The Bible said in them you think you have eternal life. So let's start with chart number one. Now I'm, I'm, I'm just going to try to go slow here tonight, and if you will hold, here's why I told you on, on text today, bring your pen and paper, or you can write it on this paper, wherever you, if you have a question, if there's something you don't understand, we're going to stop at the end of this thing, and we're going to say, who, who's got a question here, and we'll go back and we'll try to answer that and make sure. We won't stop and discuss during the, the Bible study. I'm going to give you, and you'll see these things on chart. The, ch the first chart that we have, it talks about the Old Testament. The Bible is um, it, it's made up, not, it's, it's, it's not one book, it's made up of 66 books. It's, it's, it's what we call the Old Testament. If you'll notice on the chart here, and I'm, I'm, even, I'm, I'm technologically sound today. Look at this, man. I can, I can look and point. But if you notice the Old Testament, We'll talk about what it is, what it is. The Old Testament is several, it's, it's in five categories, but it's in several different uh, areas that, that we need to take a note of here, here this, this evening. It was written by approximately 32 writers, and the Old Testament covered a span of 3,600 years. It, 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 it was written by, now, now notice this, if you will. It wasn't just written by one writer. It was written by 32 different writers, and yet none of it contradicts. Not one word of the Bible contradicts another word of the Bible. Do you believe that? So we're going to talk about its authenticity here for just a little bit. Uh, I was I was fooling with Toby a little bit before he came out today, and I said, how many books in the Old Testament? He said, I should know that. Well, let me just tell you how to remember that. You ready? You see that word old? How many, how many letters are in the word old? How many letters are in the word testament? Nine. Y'all can count. There's nine. So there's 39 books in the Old Testament. 39. Let me give you another great revelation. How many words in the word how many letters in the word new? Three. How many letters in the word testament? We just had that. You better remember that. Nine. So three times nine is twenty-seven books. So there's there's thirty-nine books in the Old Testament. There's twenty-seven books in the New Testament. And so this is how you can remember what's in the Word of God. Why is, it, why is it labeled the Old Testament? You know what a testament is? A testament is a will. If I died today and I made out a will, or maybe we should put it this way, is there anybody that's ever heard of someone's last will and testament? That's the will that you make. So the Old Testament, and, and the word testament can also mean covenant. So we talk from the scriptures about the Old Testament or the Old Covenant and the New Testament and the New Covenant. The Old Testament was, was written before Christ and, and that, is, that is all before the coming of Jesus and the New Testament was from that point forward. So we understand, we understand that a testament is a will so we have his old will, somebody say his old will, and his new will. 
Now, the Old Testament is made up of five categories. There's, there's the books of the law, okay? That's the first five books of the Old Testament. You'll see it right here. That's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. What is the law? Well, the law is, is uh, where God dealt with Israel, their deliverance, their uh, ordinances and laws and the things that God gave them. Uh, I've been reading, and I, I'm in Deuteronomy right now. It's just astounding the things, the ordinances and the laws that God gave to Israel. And, and if you go read that, you will understand that the law is, uh, is what is, it's the law of Moses or the law that God gave to Moses and the writings of Moses and these books are covering that period of the law. Then you have history, which is 12 books. It's Joshua all the way through Esther. Those are books of the history of Israel. It tells their, their, their movement, their, uh, what they did, how they moved, where they, where they fought battles, the land that they took, the kings that arose, the things. They, these are books of history about the Israelites. And then you have the books of poetry, which is uh, Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Solomon. Those are books of poetry. Those are written not necessarily in verse to rhyme, but they are called the books of poetry, and they're very powerful writings. There's nothing more beautiful than reading the book of Psalms. Amen. So these are books of poetry. And then you have the major prophets and the minor prophets. The major prophets are five books, and those are longer prophetic books written by Isaiah, Jeremiah, and then there's Lamentations, Ezekiel, and Daniel. But the minor prophets, now why do you call them minor prophets, Pastor? Because, not because they're any less important, but some of them may cover only one page in your Bible. But they are minor prophets simply because they are shorter. But all of these things make up the Old Testament or the old will, or the old covenant. Now, when we get into studying and we begin in Genesis next week, you're going to understand, you're going to understand why these are all important. And when we get into that study, you will see why these books are broken down, or this, this uh, Old Testament is broken down by books into several categories. So, you, you know, it, uh, it, it, it's just powerful to me that you can have many writers, but I want you to know there's only one author. Did you hear what I said? There's many writers. See that? It's on your many writers. There's only one author. Do you know why that is? Because God is the author of the Word of God. That's why it's called the Word of God. These men that wrote, let me tell you what was written in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 21. You remember this scripture. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. The, the, the author of the book is the Almighty God. You, I'll tell you what you do. You, you go get 40 doctors, and you have them write on the same subject. And I promise you, you'll be more confused when you get through than you were when you started. Isn't it amazing that God can take the writers and put in them the Word of God? And it can be given to us where there's not one contradiction. But all of it is a powerful Word of God. Amen? So, so understand what the Old Testament is. Let's move to chart two. So how did we get the Bible? How did it come to us? How, how did we get this powerful book that we call the Word of God? And that's, that's, a, that's a great question and a, a very needful question. Uh, for the first 2,500 years of man's history, the written word did not exist. Notice the chart here. The first 2,500 years of, of man's history, there was no written word. How did God speak? 
He spoke orally, but he only spoke to a certain few. He spoke to Noah. He spoke to Moses. He spoke to Abraham. He spoke to Isaac. He spoke to Jacob. But he didn't talk to everybody. He spoke orally. And and then he showed himself through the power of creation. And then he also spoke through a man's conscience. When we start studying the dispensations of man, possibly next week, we'll talk about the dispensation of conscience because God didn't just speak orally. He spoke through a man's conscience. And a man, Do you know your conscience is one of the greatest guides in your, in your system, your body, and your mind, your conscience? That's why Paul talked about don't, don't let your conscience be seared with a hot iron. Amen? You, you don't want to ever lose your feeling because God gave you that. God manifests himself through creation. God showed himself through the things of, of creation. You know, it, it's amazing that God could lead a nation uh, with a cloud or a fire. Or he could just let fire come down on Mount Sinai when he talked to Moses. But he spoke. He spoke orally. He spoke through creation. And he spoke through a man's conscience. And then the first written, the first written word of God the first thing that we have is the covenant that God gave Moses up on Mount Sinai. You see those tablets of stone? Remember this, because that is where God literally took his finger and wrote in stone, and, and he gave the commandments. This really happened. Moses was on top of Sinai, him and God alone. And God took the finger, the Bible said the finger of God. We know God's not a person, we'll get into that, but God revealed himself to Moses through writing with his finger on the tables of stone. That was the first law that was written, or the first written covenant. And then he told Moses, he said, you preserve this. What do you want me to do with it, God? I want you to go put this in the Ark of the Covenant. See where it says law is preserved? He said, I want it to be in the Ark of the Covenant because this is to be kept. It's sacred. It's holy. It's righteous. It's the good thing. It's the law of God. And so he instructed Moses, and Moses kept it in the Ark of the Covenant. And then you read on down, and, and you see where the Bible, uh, the Scriptures, uh, the scribes were instructed after that by Joshua and Moses to copy the law. Let me tell you something about copying the law of God. The scribes and that, that copied, he gave it to the Levites and the scribes, and they copied it. Every word, now listen to me. You can find this in the Scriptures. Every word, every word was, had to be written perfectly. When the scribes wrote and copied the law, they had to pronounce every word. They had to, every word individually. They had to write it, and it was checked for spelling, everything had to be done perfectly. The scribes had to write it down. And then, not only that, how did it, how did it get from God's hand to ours? As a matter of fact, if you read the Scripture, let me find this Scripture right quick. Let me go back first and talk about how it was preserved. In, in Deuteronomy chapter 17, in verse 18 and 19, this is all in your notes, so you have this and you can study it. It shall be when he sitteth upon the throne of his kingdom that he shall write him a copy of this law in a book out of that which is before the priest, the Levites. And it shall be with him, and he shall read therein all the days of his life that he may learn to fear the Lord his God to keep all the words of this law and these statutes to do them. That's what he's instructing the scribes to write. Not only that, but then it was written, not only was it written, but it was, it was given unto Moses the law that he was to read that to the congregation of Israel every seven years. They read the whole law, everything that was written at that time. The Bible said in Deuteronomy 31 verse 9, Moses wrote this law delivered it unto the priest and the sons of Levi. And Moses commanded them, saying, at the end of every seven years, 
in the solemnity of the year of release, in the Feast of Tabernacles, when all Israel is come to appear before the Lord thy God in the place which he shall choose, thou shalt read this law before all of Israel in their hearing. Every seven years, they had to have the law. So in a, in a Jew's lifetime, listen to me, the Bible of that time, all that they had at that time, was read to them 10 to 12 times in their lifetime. You think they might have get, been getting that down in here? You think they might have got some understanding somewhere along the way? This is how important the Word of God is. And then, and then you'll see here where it says the first Bible was printed. It was printed and, uh, in 1488. There was a man by the name of John Gutenberg that uh, he, he devised a method of arranging alphabet letters into a plate to create the stamped impression upon paper. And we know that back in by early Bible times, it was, it was leather and it was, it was all kind of things that they wrote on, but it, it, wasn't, it wasn't in the printed form. But Gutenberg's first book to be printed was the Bible, the first book. Do you know the Bible has sold more copies than any other book in history? There are more interpretations of the Bible and more editions of the Bible than any book in history. Now think about that. That's very powerful to me. But, but this, this man printed the first Bible. And, and he gave it to us in printed form. The Word got in our hands. The Word of God. You, I don't have time to, to, to read everything to you, but let me just read a couple of little things to you. The original Hebrew Scriptures were copied and translated for generations. And in Alexandria, Egypt, during the 2nd and 3rd centuries B.C., one of the earliest and most important translations into the Greek language was called the Septuagint, meaning 70, because of the 70 Jewish scholars who prepared it. Since that time, the Bible has been translated and paraphrased into more languages than any book anywhere. It's more translations, it's more interpretations, it's more Bible books. How many, book, how many translations can you think of right now? People call me all the time and say, what translation of the Bible should I get? Well, let me tell you what I believe. The King James Version is the most accurate, and if you go study the history of the King James Version, it is the most accurate because of the, of the work of that translation, how many translators, how many scholars, and how much work went into that. It is the, it is the best translation that we can use as children of God. Everybody said amen. So that, that tells you how we got the Bible from God's hands to our hands. Just a little history there. Now, the Bible is unique and wonderful. Go to that next chart, if you will, Chelsea. More translation than any other book. I've already told you that. It's a survivor of time and credit, okay? Nothing can destroy the Bible. You know why? God wrote it. We watched it. We've watched it happen in history. You could go back and I don't care what kind of history you study, you will find out that the Scriptures have endured history. In, in 1778, there was a man by the name of Voltaire who was an atheist, an infidel, who said that in 100 years, Christianity would be erased from history. You know what happened? Only 50 years after his death, the Geneva Bible or the, yeah, the Geneva Bible Society used Voltaire's own printing press and house to produce hundreds of Bibles. You can't come against the Word of God. You know what the Bible said? Heaven and earth shall pass away, 
But the Lord said, my word, my word will last forever. It's not going to pass away. It's going to be here. God wrote it. God gave instructions. God gave it to us through time, through circumstance, through many, many battles, and through many, many crises. The Bible hath withstood everything that's been thrown at it. If you, if, There's no way we could cover everything. But I'll tell you what the disciples said in the New Testament. They said, we saw it happen. We saw it happen. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 16 said, For we have not followed cunning devised fables when we made known unto you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. We saw what happened. That's why we wrote about it. Furthermore, they said you saw it. They didn't just say we saw it. They said you saw it. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 22, the Bible said, You men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, as ye yourselves also know. You saw what God did, and that's why we wrote about it. In the Old Testament, there were many eyewitnesses to the miracles and the signs and the things that God did. And yet God would place it upon the heart of the writer and anoint his hand to write the truth that we know today. That's why it's such a unique and a powerful and wonderful book. Go to the next chart if you will. So how do you know the Bible's true? How do you know? Many proofs. Many proofs. There's, there's, and I'll, I'll just touch on some of them today. Do you know in the beginning, uh, before the days of Columbus, do you know they believed the world was flat? They would not let the ships sail very far because they felt like they would sail off the edge of the earth. True story. That's just history. Go read it for yourself. Columbus, that's why they called him a brave man. He set sail. He did not believe the earth was flat. Well, neither did God because way back in Isaiah, you know what Isaiah said? It is he that setteth upon the circle of the earth. The Lord knew science before man knew science. But everything that man has discovered through science, God has already proclaimed in his word. But yet science backs it up. Science tells us that now we understand. Here's what, here's what else they, they, they didn't understand. In, in history, they didn't understand. They thought the world was setting on something. But I'll tell you what. Job said, he stretcheth out the north over the empty place and hangeth the earth upon nothing. Now, we know, we know from a little bit of science in school that there's the sun and then there's the planets and the earth is a planet and it's continuously moving. Science tells us all that. But Job knew it and Isaiah knew it before the scientists knew it. So if you go and study what the science says in our day, you will find out that the Word of God has already backed that up. Amen? How many stars are in the universe? It's a lot. But you know, at one time, the Greek astronomers said there was only 1,080 stars. Because that's all they could count. They said it's 1,080. And then uh, Galileo's invention of the telescope in the 1600s began to, to tell us there's countless millions of stars. Science is catching up to the Word of God and proving. Astronomers now estimate there's over 100 billion in just our galaxy alone, stars. Science is telling us that the word of God is true. Why? Because Jeremiah said it this way, the host of heaven cannot be numbered, neither the sand of the sea measured. It's in the word of God. So you could take science and prove that the word of God is true. You could take medicine 
You can take me. I, I, I'm not going to go deep into this today. But, you know, in the old times, they believed that to get rid of a sickness or a disease that you bleed a suffering patient. That's what they did. As a matter of fact, it was George Washington that died from bleeding that was administered by a physician for treatment for a cold. That's a true story. So they, they, they began, they believed that bleeding. And, and then now, instead of bleeding, they give people blood transfusions. Medicine has caught up. Well, we knew from reading Leviticus 17 and 11, the Bible said the life of the flesh is in the blood. And that's just a simple illustration. But I want to tell you, every time they look at a heart, every time they look inside your body, every time there's a surgery, I want to tell you that medicine backs up what the Bible has already taught us. So, so this is another reason we know. History has taught us. History has taught us. History recorded before the time of Christ proves Bible truths. Scores, scores of cities mentioned in the Bible have been located and positively identified by, by historians and archaeologists and people that are in that business. I was never, I was never so uh, enlightened as when we got to go to the Holy Land and we got to see all the artifacts. And I'll talk about one of them in particular in just a few minutes, but the archaeology discoveries also that is listed there and the history, the old cities that have been uncovered. And, and uh, you know, how do, how do you know, for instance, that Abraham was not some fictional character? How do you know that? Because history and archaeology has discovered. You, there, let me just give you this. How do you know a major Old Testament figure named Abraham didn't, didn't really exist or did exist and wasn't some fictional character or fable or myth? His identity has been uncovered through history and through archaeology. The name Abraham even appears in Babylonian excavations from the very age in which he lived. Abraham's hometown, Ur of the Chaldees, has been located. Sodom and Gomorrah have been located. There's so many things that have been located that prove what is written in the Bible. Cities, places, things uncovered, and, and they're still discovering. Many, 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 thousands of years later, they're still discovering. I went there. I looked at some of those places. I know that they exist. So I'm here to tell you that, that we are standing on sure ground when we stay, say that the Bible is the Word of God. Can you say amen? I'm going to hurry past this because I want to get to a couple of things specifically today, and then we'll, we'll talk a little bit about it. Everybody say, no, don't say that. I, I was about to give away what I'm about to tell you about. In, 19, in 1947, there were two shepherd boys that were tending sheep and they crossed a path south of Jericho. I went here. I know where that's at. I went right to where I'm talking about. And while driving goats to a market in Bethlehem, one picked up a rock and threw it in a cave. And when he did, he heard something break, crash. He knew his stone had hit something and broken it. Curious, he ventured inside. And in a pile of shattered clay was a large scroll wrapped in linen. You go check me out. This is history. Eight more jars containing scrolls, stood in that dark cave. And when they got to looking, there, there were other scrolls in other caves. I think they found 11 other caves that they found similar scrolls and jars. Now, what was it? They had made a great discovery. And when Bible scholars deciphered these scrolls, they were stunned. 
because the scrolls were 1,900 years old or more than 1,900. And most notable among them was a complete copy of the book of Isaiah, 24 feet long of leather scroll that had been transcribed in the century before Christ. And now they took us to that place. We stood on, y'all remember that, those that were with me. We stood and we looked in at where the Dead Sea Scrolls were found. They pointed it out to us. You could see the caves. We didn't go in the caves. I can tell you my wife wasn't going in any cave. But nevertheless, they showed us where these two shepherd boys found these Dead Sea Scrolls. And they became a part of history. Let me, let me, let me tell you something. These scrolls, when they, when they were looked upon and written, the two copies of Isaiah discovered among those scrolls were a thousand years older than any manuscript previously known, yet they paralleled word for word with the standard Hebrew Bible in more than 95% of the text, and the other 5% consisted of just variations in spelling. Why are you saying that? Because that lined up with the word that we have had. The word of God has been preserved through ages. And God opened up this great, this great uh, finding of Dead Sea Scrolls that proved, as a matter of fact, I, I know of preachers and, and people that were one of the scholars that helped interpret the Dead Sea Scrolls. And, and it was a very overwhelming thing. But this startling discovery and the accuracy of those copies and the things that, that, uh, that came out through the Dead Sea Scrolls gave us knowledge to know that God had preserved his word. Ladies and gentlemen, on this first night of Search of Truth, let me just tell you this. The Bible is either true fully or it's not true. It's either whole truth or it's no truth. You can't pick and choose. You can't say this is right, but I don't believe this. It is the infallible Word of God. How many of you have faith enough to believe that God gave us Scripture to lead us and to guide us that there, there should never be a doubt in our mind that the Word of God is truth? Amen? I love the Word of God, don't you? Really, I almost skipped this lesson tonight simply because I know that you believe the Word of God or you wouldn't be here. Next, next Wednesday, we're going to delve right into Genesis chapter 1. But before we do that, we need to establish that we're not just studying a textbook. We're not just talking about something that, uh, oh, well, yeah, you can take it or leave it. No, 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 no. You can't just take it or leave it. You have to take it and take it in its entirety. Amen? So let me go to chart five. Let me talk about this. Here's, here's one, of the, one of the best charts that I know of for tonight, and I'm going to be right on time. Prophecy even says the Word of God's true. I, I, I preached in this pulpit a couple weeks ago, and I, I referred to Matthew 24. And in Matthew 24, there are powerful prophecies. But, but that's not the only prophecies. The book that we're talking about tonight, our Bible, contains some 6,000 specific prophecies. And thousands of them have already been fulfilled. And others are being fulfilled while I'm standing in this pulpit tonight. The proof of science and medicine and history and archaeology, and Dead Sea Scrolls, that's all good. But there is nothing that proves the Word of God true more than prophecy. Amen? Prophecy, I would call the infallible test. It's what we, we can't deny it. How in the world can someone hundreds of years ago 
prophesy things that are happening right now, thousands of years ago. How in the world can the Old Testament prophets say things that they knew nothing about that was going to come about, and then we watch them unfold in the New Testament? You with me? There's nothing that proves the the infallibility of the Word of God more than prophecy. During the life of Christ alone, 333 prophecies were fulfilled. During Jesus, it happened. There's not a question it happened. Consider just a few prophecies with me. Watch. Let me, let me show you a couple of things. Micah in the Old Testament said that Jesus would be born in Bethlehem. Where was Jesus born? Bethlehem. It's that simple. Amen? Isaiah said he would be born of a virgin, rejected by Jews, and cruelly crucified. Isaiah prophesied that. And we know that that happened. Zechariah described his triumphant entry into Jerusalem. The psalmist David revealed Jesus' betrayal by a friend, the giving of gall and vinegar on the cross, the piercing of his hands and feet, and the gambling for his garment, and even the exact price of his betrayal, 30 pieces of silver. He spoke of that hundreds of years before Jesus came. And yet it happened exactly. At least 29 Old Testament prophecies relate to betrayal, the trial, the death, the suffering, and the burial of the Lord. And they all happened within a three-day period. Think about that. 29 prophecies just like that. All that are written in the Old Testament. Now, it happened then and it's happening now. Prophecies were fulfilled then, and prophecies are being fulfilled now. Ladies and gentlemen, hear this pastor on this Wednesday night. What we're seeing take place in our world is not an accident. It is prophecy in fulfillment. I'm not a revelation preacher, although we're going to get to revelation. We're going to talk about what's going to happen in the end of time, at the end of our study. But listen to me. I know enough to know that the Bible says the great bear will come from the north. Do you know who the great bear is? That's exactly right. And they're coming from the north. I was listening to the commentators the other day talk about them coming from the north. They're coming from the north. I do know, I do know that the Bible talks about, let's look at our chart. Look here, famines and earthquakes, famines, pestilence, and earthquakes. Do you know there's been more earthquakes in the last few years than the history of the world? More within the last few years than the history of the world. Think about that. Were earthquakes where you don't expect earthquakes and famines and pestilence. And there's more to come. I'm telling you right now, see that word? We're right on the brink of that. See this word? That's happening all around us right now. Amen? So we're seeing it come to pass. Witchcraft. There's a revival of witchcraft in our world. It's greater than it's ever been in the history of mankind. Wars. Rumors of wars. That's a Bible prophecy. Israel regathered. I'm going to talk about that in just a minute. False Christ and cults and immorality. All of these things are happening. Let me, let me talk about that, that uh, defensive aircraft. Let me, that, some of you wondering about that. Consider this amazing prophecy of the Old Testament. An Old Testament prophet told us about airplanes as a defensive mean for Israel thousands of years before there was an airplane. You ready? Here it is. Isaiah chapter 31 and verse 5. Isaiah said, As birds fly, so will the Lord of hosts defend Jerusalem. 
defending also, he will deliver it. And passing over, he will preserve it. Now, in 1917, the Turks had control over Jerusalem. The British were confident that they could regain the power for the Jews. And early one morning, British commanders, history says this, sent two reconnaissance planes over the old city to review the Turkish occupation. Few planes, if any, had ever appeared in that part of the world in 1917. But the Turks saw them as, as omens of disaster and they became alarmed and in the night they slipped out the north gate and left the city empty and by the next morning Jerusalem lay open for British occupation and the Jews moved in because of planes flying in the sky. Oh, that's not all. In, in, and in finally in 1948, in 1948, the Jews are moving back into Jerusalem. And you know and I know that in 1948, they became an independent nation again. It was what the Bible calls the budding of the fig tree. I, I got to tell you this story. I may have told it before, but we were there going, going through Jerusalem. And, and the guy that we had stopped us, and there was a tree there was a tree that was uh, that that had a little fence around it, an, an olive tree, and he said, "You see that tree?" He said, "Nobody get close to that tree. That tree, that tree, has been here for many, many years." He said, "But that tree in 1948, it was already there, but it started growing." Another source of that tree, another, another limb of that tree, another part of that tree, should I say, maybe another trunk, should I say it that way. But he said, and from 1948, the budding of that tree started, and it has grown. While others haven't made it, that one has grown. And he said it was in the, right in the middle of, of, of where close to the Garden of Gethsemane, right in that area. And he talked about Israel becoming a nation because the Bible talked about the budding of the fig tree. And here we found that the tree was budding, and I saw it with my own eyes, and it had grown, and nobody could touch that tree because he said all of a sudden a sprout came out of that tree. It's a historical place there. But what happened in May of 1948 was Israel became an independent state and it was announced and declared, and they have been ever since. Now, I remember the war of 1967. The, the, I remember it well. But if you go read history, you'll find out a terrible destruction would have come to Israel had not the Israeli Air Force destroyed Egyptian planes so quickly, allowing them to return and defend Jerusalem. And Israeli, Israeli planes quickly silenced the Arab guns. Now, I'm saying all of that to say this. Way back in, in Isaiah, it said, as birds flying, they're going to defend and they're going to protect and they're going to preserve Israel. That's what has happened. And I want to tell you something on this class on this Wednesday night. Israel is going to win. I don't care who they fight. I don't care who comes against them. I don't care what kind of enemy they face because they are the called people of God. And I promise you this, we better be on the side of Israel and we better be on the side of the Jews because they are God's people. You with me? I feel like you are. Amen. So that, that is important. And, and not only that, not only that, they were, they were regathered, and that is prophecy of old. But not only that, it talks about what is coming to our world. 666 system. Everybody say Antichrist. We're not there yet, although, although we are very close. I, I don't think the man of sin has been revealed. Here's what I do believe. I believe he's alive. I believe we're living in the last days. I, I'm not going to be like the preacher years ago that said I've had five Antichrists die. 
I'm not going to stand up here and try to name the Antichrist, but I will tell you this, we're headed quickly for a one-world money system. We're headed quickly for the days of the mark of the beast. We're headed quick. Now, I'm going to tell you what I believe long before we get there. We're going to study all this too, the mark of the beast, the Antichrist. We're going to study all that. But I'll tell you what I believe. I believe the church is going to be out of here before the wrath of God comes. You believe that? I believe there's going to be a rapture of the church. Some of you don't. I've had people that, you know, there's, there's three different beliefs, and i got to hurry and quit. Three different beliefs. There's pre-trib, there's mid-trib, and there's post-trib. That means pre-tribulation rapture, mid-tribulation rapture, post-tribulation rapture. Here's what I believe. I believe I want the first ticket out of here. Amen. I want to go before the, before the tribulation, but if he decides to wait to mid-tribulation, I want to go then, and I sure hope he comes at those times because the last three and a half years are going to be hell on earth. Amen. So all of that, all of these prophecies, there's nothing that proves the Word of God more. I challenge you today to take your Bible and sit down and start reading prophecies, and you'll find the 6,000 prophecies that are in the Word of the Lord that they're coming true or they have come true or they're about to come true and we are people that must stand upon this book because it has been proven to be right over and over and over again. As a matter of fact, when the Six-Day War started in 1967, there were 12 prophecies. Or, or, or so-called prophets, people that stepped forward. There were 12 of them that said, this is what's going to happen. You know what? 11 of them were wrong because they never believed Israel would survive. But God knows, and God takes care of his own. Stay with me for the next few weeks. I've just laid some groundwork for the Bible tonight. Next week, we're going to start with Genesis chapter 1, God created the heavens and the earth. I'm going to take you, walk you through the scriptures I'm, I hope you'll all come. What a great crowd here on Wednesday night. And, and I hope you'll come and let's talk about that and let's see how God delivers people, how God preserves people, who he puts in charge, how he's done what he's done, where we are right now, what the future holds. The next few weeks are going to be great.